In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week of the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Nasa, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And we're joined this week by Dynamic Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, my good friend. Welcome aboard. Thank you, George. It's great to be with you. And I was asking before about the married life. <laughs> you, you look good, George, after eight weeks. So. <laughs> I've survived the eight weeks. I think I need a haircut, Deacon, but that's uh, that's not because of married life. That's uh, because of our our ha haircut crisis here in the state of New South Wales because we're currently in lockdown. And uh, what a blessing it was to actually get married on the exact day of lockdown uh, by the time we came out of the church. So <laughs> we're, I'm pretty blessed. Um, oh, that's so wonderful. If you want to access this show here, you can go to YouTube or and don't forget to subscribe to our episodes on www.thecatholictoolboxshow.com. So Deacon, we're here to discuss a very uh, important, sometimes controversial topic, that is the youth today, young people and the mass. Now, if you watch The Simpsons, like I was just watching earlier today, <laughs> uh, growing up, you know, you see Homer and sometimes the kids, sometimes they need to be dragged to church. And that seems to be the situation. And I've, I've listened to so many of your talks, especially on the mass and young people. And you, you beautifully start off with how there is, a, you start off optimistically, if I may say it that way, that uh, you, in an ideal world, you hope, Deacon, that, you know, the kids would wake up their parents and say, mom, dad, uh, we, we need to get to, we need to hurry up and have breakfast so we can get to mass to get our rosary in and fit a Eucharistic fast. <laughs> and that always makes me laugh every time, Deacon. Uh, but uh, that isn't the ideal world we live in, but we need to aspire to that ideal world. Um, look, since the Second Vatican Council, we've seen a drastic decline in mass attendance. And I was actually listening to a podcast today uh, with a prominent priest, uh, um, uh, traditionalist priest, but and I've and I've seen it from so many different angles why people have dropped out of the faith. And it, we, the one common factor, common denominator, seems to be that perhaps the mass either resenting going to mass or not understanding the mass. The mass seems to be the common denominator of why people have dropped out of the faith. So, what are your thoughts, Deacon? on this subject to start off and kick off the show here? Well, uh, there's so many ways we could go with this, yeah. but um, uh, let, let me approach it like this. There's a couple of things. There's, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the mass, okay? Um, you know, the, it, we can't simply just say, well, it's the mass's fault, you know, or after Vatican II, you know, uh, the mass changed. Well, here's the thing, you know, um, the mass, most of the place that we have now is actually not the vision of what Vatican II said about the mass. So, for example, if you just go back and read Sacrosanctum Santa Concilium, um, the sacred mm -hmm. document called the Sacred Council, which is uh, the Vatican II's uh, explanation of the liturgy and what's supposed to happen at mass. The closest from what I've seen for, for what's supposed to happen there is, is EWTN. <laughs> you know, uh, you're supposed to keep Latin in the mass. There's supposed to be a sense of awe and reverence. Um, and a lot, just let's be real. A lot of places you don't see that. Um, that that's one factor. The, sec the second factor I think is, is that we, 
we don't understand the why of the faith, especially for us in the United States. I know you guys are still in lockdown there, but coming out of COVID, you know, it's it hasn't been easy trying to get people to come back to mass. You know, prior to uh, lockdown, people were going to mass and, you know, because they had been taught since they were little, mass is important. You know, we have to get to mass, we have to get to the Eucharist. And so basically for a year and a half, um, they didn't have to go to mass because they had the dispensation. And, and so now, again, this wasn't, I don't think this was the intent of the bishops, but the fallout is people are saying, wow, I, I didn't have to go to mass for a year and a half. I, I guess it's not as important as I thought. And to think that people are all of a sudden just going to jump out of their easy chairs with their coffee in their hand and their pajamas after watching mass on TV for a year and a half and all of a sudden just going to come back to church. I think that's, that's unrealistic. So what I think we need, uh, maybe we could talk about this later, is a Eucharistic renaissance. Uh, that's part of it, too. I like that. The other thing, there's a serious like disconnect between faith of young people and the everyday lived experience. So what we've done is we've compartmentalized how we teach young people the faith. We say, okay, when you're seven, first reconciliation and first Eucharist. And then when you're a teenager, we, you know, or, or soon after we prepare you for confirmation, and then what? You know, what I mean, you go off to uni, and then what? You know, um, uh, the, the the thing is, we have to make this like a continuum. It has to be constant, a constant stream of deepening catechesis that leads to deeper intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, the final factor are parents. You know, if you, you mentioned Homer Simpson, I mean, if parents aren't in love. If parents aren't living the faith at home, you know, so all the things they learn, if it's not being lived out in the home, then they're not going to be in love with Jesus. Absolutely, Deacon. I mean, that's, that's absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. Really, the, the way I see it is this. The, and it's, you can see it from so many different angles. It's puzzled me over the years. The more and more you see the crisis in the church today, you can be tempted to point at the mass. You can be pointed to, to, to catechesis, but really I do think, I really do think that catechesis is the underlying problem, but then you have to break down where is catechesis taking place. Now we know the mass through the Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, how we praise, how we believe is the catechesis. And reading and listening to the testimonies of so many different disenchanted youth, I speak to a lot of them. I've gone through youth groups with a lot of them. I see them now. They've dropped out of the faith completely. And I really, really think the underlying problem is catechesis. In, in, in the liturgy, for instance, they've gone to mass and all you hear is drums and distraction and entertainment, not in the way the Second Vatican Council envisioned. And they go there and they see, oh, wow, this, is, this can't really be the real presence of Jesus Christ because we, we, no, nobody's acting like it. Then they go to, uh, you know, the schooling system or parish. You don't hear catechesis anywhere. I mean, see, that's, it seems to be the real problem. You can't develop the why. Uh, um, and, and I think it's a liturgy and learning your faith in different facets concurrently. It's not because of the mass sort of uh, losing traction, a lot of reverence in places alone. However, I think it is to, to a large extent that you can be catechized by the mass, but I think it's concurrent on uh, both of these things concurrently are uh, the problem. And uh, I, you said it so beautifully, Deacon, we need a renaissance after this COVID. Uh, and I went, when I wrote my book, I wrote it with the intention of looking through a post COVID world because the world's gonna be a different place now. The, the, the place of artificial intelligence, technology, and reaching youth and young people through that means is going to be of paramount importance. So we need to adjust our strategy to the ever-changing world, uh, Deacon. And, uh, and uh, really, now we're in lockdown here in Sydney, and hopefully we look to come out of this by Christmas um, as vaccinations increase, as the government claims that vaccinations are increasing and they say they're going to let us out. But look, we'll see what happens. But hopefully to bring people back to church, I'm a bit puzzled what's going to be the strategy now because there's so many people who've, during these 18 months of the whole COVID since the outbreak, have not come back to church. And look, 
I'm not going to play judge here, but you can see that they're not as catechized and I didn't see them back, you know, in our local parish. A lot of people are just still not coming back. Perhaps this is where we may lose a lot of people or people who are just leaning on the edge who who I call in my book 59-minute Catholics who maybe still go to church out of goodwill but don't really understand their faith, maybe by no fault of their own. So I think we really have to double down our strategy to bring people back, but not only just bring them back, but catechize them as well. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be a bishop. I don't. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very happy being a deacon. But if, but if I were a bishop, um, and this Eucharistic Renaissance, as, you, as, as we both were, were saying, here's how I think, here's how I would implement it. First of all, I think um, for homilies, to get people to come back to Mass, you do catechetical, catechetical homilies, homilies on the Eucharist, right? So, so you give permission for the priest. You know, you read the gospel, maybe spend two or three minutes, you know, mm -hmm. expanding on the gospel reading, the readings for the mass. And then you take, you know, 10 minutes to go through some catechetical aspect of the mass. So while you have people there or while you're streaming and people are watching, they can come to understand the depth and the beauty of the why of the, not just the Eucharist, but also the liturgy and tie those two things together. I would take a year and go through it. I mean, because it's, it's the, the liturgy is so rich and so deep. That's one thing. The other thing I would do is for youth groups and adult groups in the parish, again, to emphasize the importance of the Eucharist, to go through the Mass, to break down what is happening at the Mass, why it's happening, and what does any of that have to do with your everyday lived experience. That's important. The other thing I would do in the parish is catechize parents. You know, as, this, as the, the young people are going through, like, you know, first reconciliation, first communion, and, and doing all the preparations, there should be a parallel class for the parents. You know, and so when they go home with their children, they now have a foundation from which they can start to live eucharistically in the home. Because the home is where you fall in love with Jesus. I mean, you know, in, in school, if they go to Catholic school or catechesis in the parish, they learn a lot of things about Jesus. But the home, primarily, which uh, St. John Paul II called the domestic church, the church of the home, that's where they're supposed to fall in love with Jesus. So they take what they learn and they begin to live it out in the home. And uh, but when they when there's that disconnect there, when it's not happening in the home, then they say to themselves, well, I guess if it's not important to my parents, it's not important to me. Yeah. And so what happens then is catechesis just becomes learning, you know, just like they learn it in school, math, English, science, religion. You're getting ahead of yourself with the tools. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just say, I mean, you know, so uh, so definitely what well, there needs to be a re-emphasis and, and a, a re-learning of the Eucharist. Why? But what's the what's the goal? to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. That's, that's the whole thing right there. If you're, if you're not in love, then you don't want to spend any time with the person, right? I mean, because you have, you're your beautiful wife now, you know, and, and you guys are, are, are in love and you want to be with each other because you're in love, you know? In a sense, you can't imagine life without your spouse, right? And it, should be, it should be the same thing with our relationship with Jesus, especially his presence in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. And that's absolutely beautifully explained, Deacon. And I really love the practical, I mean, you've really now the practical element of what you would do as a bishop. But you mentioned the bishop. What is our role, especially since the Second Vatican Council, the universal call to holiness and the, the, the empowerment of the laity? What can we do? Because bishops are only one person in a diocese, but we are many as laity. What can we do as lady individually to start implementing some of the things you're actually discussing now? For instance, the homilies are obviously liturgically left up to the priest, bishop, or deacon yourself. You know, you can take advantage of the homilies. How can we? How can the lady play their part in bringing back those Catholics back to mass and reinvigorating their faith post COVID? Well, I think all of this has to start at home. You know, uh, right now, a lot of people have been using this time of lockdown and, uh, you know, been watching more television, 
you know, we've seen increase in, for, in pornography use, for example. We've seen a lot of tension happening in marriages because spouses are together for, for a lot more time than it was happening before. So we see a lot of negatives, but I think there could be a lot of positives that come out of this as well. This, this is a perfect time to relearn the faith as a family, you know, to fill in what I call gap time. You know, for example, there are spaces and gaps in our day. And what do we fill it with? For example, if you're driving to work or if you're going shopping, if you're going on a holiday, you know, what are you listening to in the car? What about taking part of that time and listening to a beautiful catechesis on the Eucharist as a family, as you're driving, you know, I mean, and, 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 and talking a little bit about that, you know, and start to live a Eucharistic faith in your family, you know, um, praying every day, devotions, again, ways that we can fill those spaces, those gaps. So for example, if you're home and you're doing laundry, you're making dinner, you know, while the dinner is in the oven, while the laundry is in the, in the washer, what are you doing? Are you going to just go pop the TV on and sit there mindlessly and watch some, some uh, tribble on TV? Or do you take that time maybe to turn to EWTN or to uh, listen to something that's offered by Perusia Media? You know, to, to watch some some streaming catechetical content, you know, um, that's going to really deepen and enliven your faith. Again, you know, I'm not saying take all day and do that. We're not monks, right? We're, li- we're living in the world. But to take advantage of spaces in our day, to fill that space with a deepening love and intimacy of the Lord, especially his presence in the Eucharist. The other thing we could do is go to Eucharistic adoration. Oh, come. What? Eucharistic adoration game changer. Now, I know you're in lockdown right now. I get it. But one of the things that, worry, that I did when we were in lockdown here in the States was to watch Eucharistic adoration on, uh, on the computer or, or have it on the telly. Yeah. You know, so you can go to a YouTube channel. I know EWTN streams Eucharistic adoration and just have the Lord there, present there. Just sit quietly, even if it's in a TV or computer, just sit quietly before the Lord and say, there are absolutely i mean that's just i mean if you can't go that's the next best thing spend that time in silence and listen to god speaking to your heart i mean there's always something we can really do the one thing i've learned from covid uh, myself many other people uh faithful catholics uh, try try to be faithful to the church is that there's always something you can do you know if if, if it's contacting your local priest you know here in the state of new south Wales, they're authorized you know you can go to confession for pastoral reasons, there's always something you can do where you, you call up the local priest and you can get communion. You know, a, a priest friend of mine, actually, he used to ride his, uh, in, in our local parish, he used to ride his um, bike around, you know, and, uh, you know, can sometimes catch up, hear your confession or the local priest down there. I have several parishes. They're available there for you. So there's always something we can do. Even when, things were permitted uh, masses could be said i think uh, beginning of last year in, in outside there's always ways we can prove our fidelity to our lord and, and uh, we're actually growing in sanctity from that and uh, deacon i really would love to see after hopefully by the beginning of next year a brand new year where we've overcome the pandemic people's faith reinvigorated uh, where th- there is a revi- a Eucharistic revival, there is a revival back to the faith. Um, obviously, we've said a lot of people drop out, and I think to begin with, they never understood or knew their Catholic. Faith. The why wasn't there strong enough, um, and and really, during this time, is, is a great time to also learn how to bring other people to the faith, so we can figure out how how can I. Uh, work on my evangelization tactics to maybe call up a friend and see how they're going with their faith and bring them closer to God. But what are three practical tools that you would suggest for us? The the everyday person, not the bishop, because uh, I think they're uh, very much preoccupied at the moment during this busy time, maybe with COVID, maybe with other things, uh, maybe spiritual things. Uh, but uh, what are your three practical tools for the everyday layman and priest, let's say, because there's more of them on a numbers level, to 
to find the lost sheep that have dropped out during COVID and, and, and never come back. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great uh, point there. And as I said, coming out of COVID, I mean, we still have to wear masks and stuff in, in church, but at least we're able to, to gather together as a community. And again, what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a struggling for people to come back to, to get the numbers up to where they were before as far as mass attendance. So I think some, some very practical things that we can do. Uh, I think you're right. I think we need to, to reach people personally. Yeah. It's not good enough to send out emails. It's yeah. not good enough to, to mail flyers. We have to reach out to people. Now, if you can't go to people's homes because of, of COVID, call them. You know, pick up the phone and call, you know, and say, we miss you. How's it going? You know, um, and, and maybe as a priest, right? You say, can I, can, can I, uh, I'd love for you to come back to hear your confession. If you haven't been to confession in a while, you know, mm -hmm. I could, I could give you Eucharist and you know, having masses outside. That's what a lot of priests did here as well. They had masses in the parking lot, for example. And even if people, they couldn't gather sitting next to each other, they could be in their car. So yeah. you had mass in the parking lot. People were in their cars yeah. and they would go, he would distribute communion to each person in the car in the parking lot. You got to get creative here, you know, uh, to find ways to bring people together uh, back as the body of Christ, because our, that's what our hearts are yearning for. That's what they're longing for, deepening intimacy with the Lord. And with the separation that we've gone through in the masking and, and, and everything else um, that uh, has, you know, uh, drawn people apart. We need to find creative ways to bring people together. I think another creative way is having the same thing, Eucharistic adoration, um, where people can come uh, in their cars. I remember there's one priest that had Eucharistic adoration outside his window. He put the blessed sacrament in his window, That's, and people would gather in their cars or you know outside yeah. and and just spend time adoring the Lord. You know, so there could be very creative ways to begin to bring people back together, and for us. Um, you know, uh, in our homes, we, we have to make this a priority. They say it takes about 30 days to create a habit. We have to get into the habit of living a Eucharistic faith again. So that means that when we, that when we are, um, you know, after we watch Mass on television or, you know, what, what do we have to do now if we're able to go to Mass, you know, um, in, in the parking lot, whatever, uh, when you come home to spend time as a family, husband, wives, and children together, you know, um, praying and asking God, you know, maybe a beautiful novena. Well, what I've been doing is a surrender novena, uh, which, which I found much solace and peace during this time of COVID. You know, the surrender novena is absolutely beautiful, you know, uh, to spend time doing that. It just takes a few minutes a day, but those few minutes can take, you know, can, can begin to really um, deepen in, deepen in our hearts that love for Christ to get the, because right now the, it's like a, a fire where, you know, the fire is kind of out, but the coals are still kind of burning. So we have to stir up those coals, you know, and, and give it the fuel of catechesis. Get, I think another wonderful thing just practically is to get a hold of your book and start reading it, you know, together as a family, maybe read a few pages every day, you know, and then have a discussion about what they're seeing, what they're learning. I mean, we, you know, what I found about the faith, George, is the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Yep. You know, there's always great ways to, to, to deepen intimacy with the Lord. And one of the ways is to learn about it. another way is podcasts. Come on. I mean, you know, Father Mike Schmitz here in the States, his Bible in a year is the, was the number one podcast in the world. I mean, past any secular podcast, number one in the world. How long does it take to download a podcast on your phone and listen to it? Come on. I mean, th these are very simple, practical things that we can do every day. I mean, I have, a, I have probably about 20, 25 podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis, you know, um, again, as ways of, of deepening and strengthening my faith. When I'm going for a walk, you know, getting my exercise in, that's what I'm listening to. You know, uh, uh, listening. I mean, there's so many small ways to make a big difference in um, in our catechesis and learning about our faith. Again, pointed and directed toward deeper intimacy with Jesus. I mean, uh, 
there's just surreal words uh, of comfort, especially for us here in Aus uh, most of Australia, especially in New South Wales here, we're in lockdown. We're, we're experiencing some of the harshest lockdowns in the world. If there's yeah, everybody's like talking about it here. <laughs> Seriously. If there's something we Australians are good at, it's regulation. And uh, we do well with regulation. And uh, because we, we actually are a country that had a hope, of achieving zero transmissions. That's why we went so hard, but hopefully we should be out of it by November, God willing, uh, ready in time for Christmas. And we're praying for that. Um, so Deacon, late, I just want to ask you this before we go uh, on, onto our break. Do you think that a lot of, why do you think a lot of youth have stopped practicing the faith? What's the underlying cause? Well, I think it goes back to what you said. They're not in love. It's just that simple. They are not in love with Jesus. Because if they were, they can't imagine their life without him. And they can't imagine separating themselves from him, especially in the mass. They don't understand what the mass is. They don't know why they're there. There's The, the culture is attracting them and pulling them away with lies when, when the Jesus is trying to give them the fullness of his truth and his presence in the holy sacrifice of the why mass in the Eucharist. Do we, why do you think... The truth hasn't reached them. Maybe they go to school, maybe because of their parents. What's the underlying cause that maybe we can address on a on a operational well, level? Well, I think the way we teach the faith, we teach the faith like a subject in school. Yeah. You know, th these are things that you need to learn, but what what do I need to have me to grow in, in love, to grow in intimacy? You know, how are we presenting the mass to them? Is it just a functional thing? You know, or is it a relationship? That's what it comes down to. Are we presenting the faith in a way where we're deepening relationship, where we're building relationships? I mean, we young people spend so much time building relationships with their friends. How about taking as much time building a relationship with their God? Because it's from that relationship, focus is centered on Christ, that everything else in their life is going to have meaning and make sense. I mean, that's absolutely tremendous words, Deacon. And now I'll take a break before we have an open line here. You cannot call in this week. We're all virtually working from home here in Sydney, Australia. So if you have any questions, you can't call in this week. Uh, if you simply want to email the Catholic Toolbox at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com or in the comment section on YouTube or simply uh, comment on the EWTN Asia Pacific or Voice of Charity Facebook pages, Sending your question for Dynamic Deacon, you can email or comment on Facebook or YouTube. So stay tuned here, we'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations so that we can afford to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavour. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this and see if God is calling you to uh, commits to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney. And welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live in the Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And a modern tragedy today is the departure of our youth from the faith, partially because of the Mass, partially because of catechesis, or they may both go hand in hand, catechesis and the mass. If we hear often the term or phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, that is in Latin, how we pray is how we believe. The mass needs to reflect what we believe. The teaching of the church that the mass is representation of the sacrifice on Calvary needs to be seen through the mass clearly. That is why a reverent and sacred liturgy that's putting aside all distraction needs to be our ultimate priority. So when people do come to Mass, 
they are being catechized by the mass and sanctified by the mass. But very importantly, through our school systems, through our formation, uh, places of formation, we need to be speaking the truth clearly. And we continue our discussion here with Dynamic Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who speaks the truth clearly. But first, for those men who want to make their rite of passage into manhood, join our exclusive Rite of Manhood podcast on theriteofmanhood.com. We'll see you there, gentlemen, for your exclusive men's podcast and learn how to become a man and continue in your journey uh, through manhood. So now we have an open line to call in here with your questions or comments. And you can't actually call this week because uh, we suspended our telephone system because we're all working from home. So you can't call in here. uh, And so there won't be any tolls. So you can simply email us at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com or in the comment section on YouTube or Facebook Live. So email us or comment your questions and Dynamic Deacon will answer them for you. So continuing on our subject this week, that is the mass and young people. I myself can still consider myself a millennial. (laughs) I think now married life, uh, you feel a little bit older, even though, look, I'm still in my 20s. I'm still uh, 26 years old. Uh, so I'm still fairly young, consider myself a millennial. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of youth culture. Youth culture, I think, promotes an extension of adolescence to 35, where if you look at other cultures, such as in Judaism, uh, they push men and women to, to be grown up by the age of 15. There's a rite of passage, and then you're pushed into adult life straight away. There's no extension of youth culture. That's what I believe in because I believe what forges successful people in society is uh, observing some adolescence, but uh, marking it with the right of passage into manhood at an early stage. If we keep extending, I think that's an issue there. But Deacon, uh, uh, in light of the recent announcement of Pope Francis on the traditional Latin mass in Traditionis Custodis, I'm sure you've read and uh, understood some of that. Uh, I, I, I consider myself as uh, someone who attends the traditional Latin Mass uh, alongside the Novus Order, the 1969 Missal, celebrated reverently. And I can't help but observe that it did come as a shock to many young Catholics. And I think it's a, a great devastation, maybe, perhaps, that the Latin Mass was suspended, given that there is a great rise of young people a great resurgence. If we want to look at resurgence and the mass, there is no greater example than traditional Latin mass circles or parishes which have the traditional Latin mass or the 1962 Missal. And we've seen that over the past 20 years, especially after Samorum Pontificum of Benedict XVI at the time. We, we can't deny that, that young people have discovered when, when there is identity, when there is the theology of the church manifested in the mass, they are gravitating to that. I think anyone in general, when they see identity, you gravitate towards it. For instance, if, if McDonald's lost its identity and it started frying chicken and doing all sorts of things and spaghetti and Italian, we wouldn't go there anymore. If they started watering down their menu, we wouldn't go there. If, if many other places started doing something else or trying to be something else, we wouldn't go there. So, Deacon, I wanted to ask your view on uh, uh, traditionalist custodis and perhaps uh, what can young people, how should young people see this in a reasonable light and what the Holy Fathers asked? Well, uh, so, so much you said there, George, but one thing I want to talk is about identity because you're right, we are confused about our identity, right? Because we live in a culture that says, you know, if you're a girl, you could be a boy. If you're a boy, you could be a girl. Or you could be, I mean, we're, we're very confused. The mass reminds us of our identity in Jesus Christ, right? There's only one mass. There's only one mass in two forms, the ordinary form and the extraordinary form. You know, but it's just one mass in two forms. Now to, uh, and I, and this has been the same experience that I've had, George, here in the States, is that we look at a traditional Latin mass, it's not a bunch of old people, you know, uh, white-haired people that are longing for the old days. And, you know, no, there are a lot of young families. You hear babies crying 
in the traditional Latin mass. You know, the church is, you, you know, is, is full of young people, young families, um, people that are longing and yearning because they're being fed and they're being nourished by the word, you know, and, and by the, the, the beauty of the celebration. What we don't need is innovation. You know, where, where we, you know, we think, oh, well, if we just have cool music, you know, then the youth will come. Oh, sure, they'll show up, but they ain't going to stay Catholic. Yeah. You know, we, we need, we need to, the mass doesn't need to change. We don't need to, to improvise or innovate the mass. And to take that, ha that expression of the mass and limit it, uh, which is what Pope Francis did, to me, makes absolutely no sense. I, 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 I don't get it. Um, I, some of the things that um, that he said that we're seeing, you know, um, you know, uh, where, where the traditional Latin mass is kind of pulling people apart and people are getting arrogant, you know, my mass is better than your mass and that, you know, I, I, I see a little bit of that, but not enough to to limit the traditional Latin mass, which is actually growing. Uh, and bringing back bringing young people back. into the faith again. Many people you know? of which actually have begun to appreciate the new mass because of the old, because they understood uh, they understood it in line of tradition. I myself personally, I just recently a couple of weeks ago, I uh, published uh, the service toolbox, which uh, I worked on last year, but because COVID hit, it delayed uh, the release of that. So to, it's now been two weeks and. Uh, uh, it hit the number one uh, on Parisia Media, number one downloads uh, at the moment. So the service toolbox uh, speaks about uh, serving, you know, and, and often lost things in the Novus Ordo for serving. But I started off as a server deliberately in the extraordinary form to understand the Roman liturgy correctly. And then I made my way into the ordinary form. And, uh, I, and, and I see both liturgies harmoniously. But... I really do think, and as Raymond Arroyo put it beautifully in, in, on his show on EWTN, uh, the Global Television Network, on his show, he, he mentioned that uh, where, where is the pastoral concern for those Catholics who, who, who attend the traditional liturgy? And, and, and really, I do think that this has been a big part of bringing young people back to the faith. For instance, uh, I've known so many people over the years and they sort of were iffy about the mass a little bit. But then when I brought them to the traditional Latin mass, they saw something completely different. It renewed their faith because it was, it was something that they weren't used to. And when they walked into the mass, that they, they all of a sudden didn't know what was going on ritually, but they understood there was something there sacred. And the theology spoke a little bit more clearly. And, and I really do hope that in light of this suppression, the, the Holy Father might come to understand and appreciate some of these people, uh, many of these people who are young people who've come back to the uh, to the faith through the means of the Latin Mass. Many Catholics have come through through the means, maybe Eastern liturgies or Eastern churches have experienced, for instance, uh, the monks of uh, the Maronite monks of adoration in the United States of America. The original founders were not. Uh, Maronite, they were they, they were Latin rite. So uh, different people may come through uh, their faith journey with uh, different ritual experiences, and I think it's something that it's a great loss for us. But I really I don't doubt the that the 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 mass will continue, and that the resolve of people to continue attending uh, the traditional Latin mass will continue um, uh, will be be reduced i really don't think so i think people's resolve to to attend the mass of the ages and and beautifully put through the trilogy i don't know if you you saw the trilogy uh we had uh, cameron o'hearn here about a uh, four weeks ago here on the show and it was just a beautiful it just brought tears to our eyes uh the 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 mass of the ages trilogy and it's just something which demonstrates a, way, a pathway, one pathway that youth can come back to mass. Yeah, absolutely. That, there's no question or, or doubt about it. Why? Because their hearts are drawn and attracted to the beautiful, right? Because the mass on earth is a glimpse of the heavenly reality that, we're, that we hopefully will all experience at the end of our life. Because the liturgy is drawing us somewhere. We come out of the world and we enter into the supernatural. You know, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, 
heaven and earth meet, you know, uh, and, and and that's what our, our young people are longing and yearning for. You know, you heard me talk about the whole vampire and zombie thing, right? And, uh, you know, and I've, and actually I've, I've, that's more, that's truer now than ever before, because during the lockdowns here, when I wasn't able to travel for a year, you know, I watched a little more television, I have to admit, than I would, than I normally watch before, which is basically zero. I'm guilty. Um, of that. So I was just watching, and I did know, I actually did notice there are a lot of shows about vampires and zombies, um, because people are, young people are attracted, you know, uh, they're longing for flesh and blood. But because they don't know who Jesus is, they don't know what's going on in the mass. They don't have an appreciation for his presence in the Eucharist. They're trying to find flesh and blood in creatures that are dead, you know. And, and, and but but when we take all the the, the fluff away, we, we we return to a sense of awe and reverence, which is what the heart is desiring. Then we'll see we'll see young people start to come back to the mass again because they see something there that the world cannot even begin to offer them you know truth goodness beauty in its purest form that jesus left for us the holy sacrifice of the mass and what intrigues me in the 1962 missile is that if you want to talk about youth uh, the prayer at the foot of the altar i'm come to the altar of god who giveth joy to my youth i mean it's just something where where, where we need to delight in God and we need to take refuge in the Mass. The Mass is our refuge. I mean, the great theology of, of the prayers at the foot of the altar really speak to us about that, that it may be a peaceful environment around us, but the reality is the, the world around us is a world of distraction, of sin, of chaos, and, and the only refuge we have and the, the central prayer of the church is the mass from which everything flows. It, it is the center. If the mass is a representation of sacrifice on Calvary in an unbloody manner to God through the ministry of the priest, and we are engaging with the saints in heaven, purgatory, and, and we who are on earth are attending the mass, then this is the center of our faith. This should be the center of our lives from which the rest of our spiritual life flows from. And it, it, it's very sad. What's very sad, Dick, and I'm sure you've experienced it in the States, is that many people come through youth groups. Let's talk about youth groups for a little bit. I, I really do see a great deficiency in many youth movements and that th there is a lack of catechesis perhaps a lot of the time. Sometimes there's more of a social component. And we've been guilty of it as well, where we get together, we want to have a great time, we talk something of the faith or say a prayer or reflect on a few ideas in a little circle. But, and then we leave after maybe five years of being part of it. And, and, and you see a lot of those youth many years later. It's very saddening to see, uh, like I see, many, many youth who you thought were on fire for the faith and maybe went to Old Youth Day um, for free uh, and uh, are now no longer practicing the faith. And you think, well, we invest all this time, effort and money, and, and money for sure, in these things but maybe are we missing the elephant in the middle of the room are we not catechizing people the way we should be uh, perhaps in this organization and how probably what, what's your take on how we can avoid distraction distraction when, when we're in the midst of our ministry because i'm sure it plays all of us and possibly yourself where we have that social distraction or we want to be more pastoral and then the pastoralism overflows so much we don't actually achieve the objective. So what's your take on the way we should operate youth groups? As If you were to resume a role of a bishop, for instance, or in your capacity as a, as, uh, as a cleric, as a deacon, and what you would encourage lay people to do? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, bishops and priests do, they're shepherds, right? And they're supposed to lead the flock. Um, and one of the things that we need to do is, is deep in the catechesis. You're right. You know, you don't want to just show up to youth group and just have, I mean, you know, pizza and soda and play games and icebreakers and that kind of thing, where you're not talking about real things that are in the hearts of young people. I, I give you an example. I remember I got asked to um, go to a, uh, a school, a Catholic high school, because the um, one of the coaches, female coaches, so-called 
married, so-called married her girlfriend. And so uh, the school had to fire her because it's a Catholic school and, and the contract that she signed said that she's going to live the faith, but this caused tension amongst the students. So they wanted to bring me in to talk with the students about this issue. And after I did, you know, during the talk, some kids got up and left. And I found out later that those particular young people were kind of on the side of the coach, you know, again, poorly catechized, you know, because you know, they, they can't make the distinction between, um, you know, the, the Catholic principle, we love everyone, but we always don't love their actions. If we judge actions, we never judge people, yeah. you know, um, so they left. But a lot of the kids came up to me afterward and say, thank you so much for talking about this. You know, now I understand. Now I um, have some tools to be able to talk to my friends about this issue. And, I'm, and, I, and as I was leaving, I was thinking to myself, why couldn't the school do this? You know, we're often afraid to talk about difficult issues in the parishes with our young people. We want to have them to come in and have fun, you know, but we don't want them to really, we don't want to touch difficult things. We need to be talking about same-sex attraction. We need to be talking about more relativism. We need to, we need to be talking about sleeping together before your marriage. We need to talk about this whole transgender movement. You know, we, we, these are real things that young people need to learn and understand how to approach this from our faith, how we under, understand deepening intimacy with Jesus. Why is what the church teaches? Why isn't that not hatred or hate speech, which is what the culture says? Your church is teaching hatred. You're being a hater. You're teaching hate speech. God says, love everybody. Well, hold, hold on now. Again, when Jesus judges someone, he judges their actions, right? The, the, the woman caught in adultery. He didn't condemn her. He said, go and sin. No, we got, I forgive you. I love you. But he said, don't do what you're doing anymore. Right. And, and so uh, young people need to understand the why of our faith, what we believe, what we believe, and not be afraid to talk about real things that they're struggling with. You know, like we have to talk pornography. You got to talk about masturbation. You got to talk about using the, the, uh, another person as an object for pleasure and gratification. These are real struggles we got to talk about divorce we got to we got to talk about what love actually is because they may not be seeing it at home they may come from a home that's broken and they don't see that dynamic of family like the holy family it's out oh, the holy family that's just a pipe dream you know they, they raised god you know i mean th that's not that's not anything that's real for us today so they don't have the connections you know uh, i think one thing we could do is show them the life of young saints you know, like St. Maria Goretti, um, you know, or some young people that are on their way to St. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, um, Carlos Acutis, you know, and, and, and the, these, these, are, these are young people um, that can have, I think have a powerful, powerful impact if they understood the connection um, that these young saints or potential saints have and say, wait a minute, if, if they can get it, you know, so can I, if, 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 I, I, maybe they could be an inspiration to me and how I can deepen my intimacy with the Lord on this faith journey. Cause it, when you're young, like you are, George, you're just getting started. You know um, uh, there, there's a long way to go. You got to remember we're in this for the long haul. You know, we're not just in this for the moment What the culture just as offers you is just a flash in the pan, as we call it here in the States. It's just, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, here's the next, it's like, you know, oh, here's a cookie over here. Like, oh, wait, here's something over here. Wait, 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 over here. Over, and, and we get so, like you said, distracted. We need to focus in. And the, and the more we provide that wonderful catechesis, the more they understand the why of the liturgy that helps them to focus their lives pointed and directed toward their ultimate end, their ultimate purpose, their ultimate, me ultimate meaning, the why they were created why they're on this earth, you know, that's where God wants to lead them and direct them so they can become the person who God created them to be. And that's what the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and good catechesis helps us to do. And looking deeper what you said here, why do you think, do you think there's a problem with the leadership of the people catechizing those youth perhaps have you seen that as a trend in the united states because i definitely think that's the case in many places in australia here do you think there's an issue perhaps maybe that leaders aren't catechized or would they might have their own agenda that they want to push or they're just doing it for their own maybe to get paid 
Um, what do you think is underlying whore? Because that seems to be the issue. If, if, if we want to catechize youth, we need the right people like yourself. You went in there, did the job of uh, the institution that parents are paying for, and you went in there and did a better job <laughs> by just giving one talk. <laughs> Perhaps we should direct uh, funds your way, Deacon. <laughs> Well, no, George, I think you hit on a very important point. And it's not only in, in the parish, George, it's also in Catholic schools. If, the, if they're there because they're getting a salary and they're doing a job, you know, uh, that's a problem. Because we need people that are committed to living their faith, you know, so that they're not just doing it for a job, for a paycheck. They're doing it because they love what they do. They, they really see themselves as evangelists. They see themselves as promoters of the gospel. They have to live themselves what they believe. You said Lex Arani, Lex Grenny, the, the, the law of prayer is the law of belief. If it, These have to be teachers and catechists that are actually living the faith themselves, you know, because you can't give what you don't have, right? If you said, Deacon, you said, George, you know, you said, Deacon, I got, I have $20 and I go into my wallet, which is empty, you know, I, I can't give you what I don't have myself. So how can we possibly expect teachers and catechists who are not living the faith, who are not properly catechized themselves, and what are they doing? They're passing on their opinion and their agenda to our young people. They're not passing on the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith that's going to sustain our young people unto eternal life. And, and, and so if you're making hiring decisions in the parish, or for your school, you really need to ensure that the people you are hiring are not just going to go through the motions and not just going to teach from the syllabus, you know, that they're actually going to be passionately living the faith so that, because young people can see a fake a mile away, you know, when they see someone passionately living their faith, that becomes an inspiration to them to deepen and live in their faith, especially if they're not seeing it lived out at home. You know, I'm not saying that the, 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 the teacher is a substitute for a parent. Although most parents have outsourced their responsibility of teaching the faith to the parish or to the school, yeah. uh, they're not taking the place of the parents, but they can be a source of inspiration for a young person who, are, who wants to go deeper and to learn more about uh, how their heart can be more deeply connected to Jesus. Yeah. If you look at it this way, Deacon, that I say it this way, that there's three pillars of formation. There's your parent, uh, the family, which is the who are the primary educators. Then you have the school, which, uh, you know, people growing up, we um, spend most of their time there. And the third is your chaplaincy or parish, wherever you go to get nourishment. I think many people don't go to church. Only 10% of Catholics. We're waiting for the census here in Australia. And um, I'm very keen to see the numbers, but it doesn't look promising. Uh, we're about 10 to 15 percent mass attendance uh so vast portion of catholics don't attend daily uh sunday mass what am i doing what am i saying daily mass <laughs> sunday mass they do go to school but most likely they don't have also they don't have parents who practice the faith themselves so at least if they're sending their children to school um and the only beacon of hope can be good teachers that are there and good people in the school that can bring Christ to them. I myself went to a school where uh, I had one or two good teachers uh, and they helped me with my reversion back to the faith and by their example as well. And that's where my faith journey started. I, I was born to two uh, Maronite parents who are passionate about their faith, but there, there wasn't much catechesis there. And it was the role of good teachers, not always just by what they taught, but their example as well, that led, and especially with Tim Staples at the time when I was in grade nine, uh, that helped to spark my, my authentic Catholic spiritual journey. And I really don't underestimate the role of teachers. So, so I really think the only leverage we have left is uh, the schooling system because you can't count on parents. They're outsourcing it. Uh, they probably don't go to Sunday mass. Uh, so the only thing left are good Catholic teachers who by example and by what they teach. But 
let's say uh, let's say a teacher let's let's assume the worst the teacher doesn't know where to get good resources or how to teach them themselves what are ways some uh, people listening there who are who are leaders or catechists how can they get a hold of good catholic teaching what are some sources do you recommend them just playing your talks or maybe the catholic toolbox or what's a strategy for someone who says aha i'm not the best teacher i'm in this position i want to learn more about the faith how can I get a hold of that quickly so I can also teach my students? Well, I, I, you have a, an amazing source there in Perusia, uh, right? In a Perusia Media. Awesome. I mean, I, th- th- that's one of the best uh, sources of catechetical content in the world, quite frankly. Um, and, and they have tremendous programs geared toward young people that are really impactful. Um, one of them, for example, is Chosen. By Ascension Press. That, I think that'd be a wonderful resource for schools. Uh, ap- no, no question or no doubt in my mind. Now, I got to admit, George, I was skeptical. I, 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 am, I am on Chosen, okay? And when I got, was asked to be part of that, I said, you know, I got a call from Ascension Press. I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, confirmation preparation and catechesis for youth is not good. I'm doing my own because I know what I'm doing is going to be faithful to the church and effective. They said, no, no, you got to come and see this. So I went out to their offices and I, and I, that's when I met Chris Stefanik for the first time. And I looked at what they were doing and I said, yes, I want to be part of it. Cause I said, finally, someone gets it. <laughs> finally, there's a program that actually speaks to young people that speaks to their heart, to their lives, to their experience. And so any resources that you can get as a teacher or a catechist, that will help you to do that, I think is going to be key. And you I mean you have a one-stop shop there with with Perusia Media because they have licensing agreements with all the major players here in the states. You know, so you don't have to go outside of your own country. Exactly. You have someone that that can actually do that. And one of the things I would love to see for your book, George Catholic Toolbox, which is a phenomenal book by the way, which every Catholic should have seriously. Um, every Catholic should have that book because. When I start going out and speaking again, I'm going to be promoting that book um, for for everybody in, in at, at the oh, parishes. I'm going to be coming to the states uh, for a tour. Oh God! Once things open up again, you're going to be coming here because I'm going to be organizing basically a Perusia a media event here in the United. In fact, we we're already planning it before COVID. Exactly. We had, we had the venue. <laughs> we we're getting ready to do ticket sales. We we're and then all of a sudden, bam, everything stopped. But when things open up again, we are definitely going to do that. That's that's definitely on my on my uh because i think he there's something really going on here in australia where if if you think of the world the major speakers in the united states but australia is is probably australia and america are the two countries that have speakers and they have a lot of momentum going there and well you have yourself you have robert haddad right um you have simon uh, carrington i mean there's you do have a, a a good cash of some wonderful speakers and evangelists, but people need to know and be aware of them, right? Uh, and so I think it's an obligation or responsibility of someone in the position of a teacher or a catechist to make themselves aware of where can I get the best resources? Where, where can I bring in a speaker like yourself, George, or, or like Robert, or like um, Simon, or, or uh, Maddie, you know, his wife, who's also a wonderful speaker. How, you know, how can I get a hold of these people to have them come in and be make make a, a serious impact on the lives and the hearts of our young people. I even saw it in my own family. I remember when I was having a talk with my daughter about theology of the body. I mean, she she looked at me like, "Why is my father talking to me about this?" You know, she was like, uh, "I mean," and I was doing a good job. I was trying to be because she's a, she's very sensitive, so I was trying to be, you know, careful. Or, you know, and and what happened was I called Jason Everett. I said, "Hey, Jason, man, could you?" I told him what was going on. So he sent me a DVD and I sat down and watched it with my daughter. And she was like, wow. I mean, she was like into it. I'm like, I'm saying some of the same stuff here, you know, but, but sometimes when you hear it from someone else, else, yeah, it reinforces the content that you're trying to give to your kids. But when they hear it from another person to get it from another angle, it makes a, 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 a different impact on that, on the young person's heart. Especially I on think a that's really important. Like that, especially on a personal thing like that. But before we finish up the show, I want to go through a scenario, perhaps a practical way of doing things. The future that holds for the church is that 
we're entering a digital, a digital age we already have basically over the past eight, so we've been forced into digitalization. Perhaps do you think the future of catechesis lies within the talks, the programs that are done digitally? Perhaps should we put a lot of effort or en energy directed into distributing material that people can just watch on their own as opposed to relying on one or two or three teams? Because the way I came back to the faith in 2009, when I was in grade nine, uh, it was then at the time Tim Staples came in Australia, swooped all of Australia. Uh, and I, I had a random CD there. And then after I had conversation with some Protestants, I knew I had that CD. And I wanted to hear why, if the Catholic faith was true or would I become a Bible-believing Christian? It was that CD that opened my mind to want to get more and more and more material. And I studied on my own, the Catholic faith. So do you think we should put a mass effort in distributing to each individual, let's say a podcast resources or uh, summaries of the Catholic faith? Because that's how I see it. Because we, we can't really rely on the next five to 10 years of trying to make changes here and there. We got to get to it now to try and save as many souls now. And I think technology is going to be the way we we sort of step back up as a faith because more people can be reached. For instance, traditional Latin mass attendance has tripled during COVID. You can't even get a seat anymore here because people are seeing it online. Otherwise, we should not have seen it. A lot of people have come back and listened to content. For example, because it's available online, otherwise they wouldn't have went to talk. So I really do think uh, uh, we should push that effort of uh, distributing material individually uh, through Prusimir, through um, EWTN, uh, Religious Catalog, uh, through your individual ministry. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that, Deacon? How, how would we go about that? No, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, these, you know, our young people spend a lot of time on these devices you know, uh, on these smartphones. And this is the perfect vehicle to deliver content to them, right? So, so you know, uh, you know, cassettes and even CDs now are, are going out of fashion because let's be real, uh, computers don't come with CD players anymore. Cars don't come with CD players. Laptops don't come with CD players. So the way they're getting their content is on their individual devices. Let's use the technology. Let's use those devices as a way to deliver excellent catechetical content so they have something else to listen to besides whatever they're getting on um their instagram feed or on tiktok or whatever it is they're listening to L let's let's use that as a vehicle of evangelization of a powerful witness to the faith so i agree with you and again with you know now everybody you know was afraid of the technology now they're more comfortable with it because they were forced to be comfortable with it because of zoom right and all these other ways of communicating now because everybody's locked down so let's now the technology is here it's not going away let's use it to deliver excellent outstanding catechesis to our young people because you're right the way that you were impacted by a cd someone may be impacted by a youtube video or by a podcast well that's or by a live stream or by an mp3 talk that they're a talk that maybe i i've given and that, that someone says to someone faster. else you know and that and that, and that makes people much faster and, and more efficiently than us relying on 10 percent of catholics who do go to mass and look let's be frank 70 percent of which a lot of which don't believe in the faith to get to a talk at a parish and that's not going to happen i think really the digital age is our way to recapitalize on evangelization, I'm really optimistic about. It. We've seen so many good things come out of COVID, and for the future to come now, where we permanently come out of COVID, uh, God willing, we we can we can work together. And I'm really excited um, to really sort of bring some ideas here, um, and uh, really excited for a, a tour of the United States. Yeah, looking forward to that. And it has to be both and. That's so I think we have to have the technology, but 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 we have to be careful that we're not isolated by the technology. Yep. You know, um, uh, we want to make sure that when we can, we are still gathering together as the body of Christ. So for example, if they're listening to something, they have questions about it, or they need someone to process what they're hearing, you know, uh, maybe it hit them in the heart in a way that said, wait a minute, this is so contrary to the way I've been living. 
but it, it, but it's true. But I, but I need to figure out how to make this. You know, they, so we need to still come together when we can, uh, as the body of Christ. But I think it has to be a both and. We have to use the technology and embrace the technology and the digital age, but also not be afraid to gather as the body of Christ to bring both of those things together. Absolutely, I think really we really hit it hard in this episode deacon i really thank you very much it's always exciting to have you here uh live and uh, and i'm really excited for what the future holds coming and uh, the efforts that we're going to put into evangelization and uh, I re i'm really excited uh, to really work close with you uh deacon so thank you very much for coming on the show well george you know i would not get up at this time in the morning here in the states just for anybody you know i i really admire and respect uh, the work that you're doing. I mean, you are a serious catechist and evangelist, and uh, I'm honored to be the part of the Catholic Toolbox Show, and uh, I look forward to being on again. Thank you very much, Deacon. And don't forget to subscribe to the Catholic Toolbox podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be uploading this podcast shortly, so you can access the podcast on any platform that you get it from. So thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Vanessa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today live on The Voice of Charity. Mm -hmm.